What's going on, Sheepdog Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Sheepdog Nation with your host, me, Autumn Schmidt. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you an interview um, from a fellow officer. He is a law enforcement officer of 16 years, I do believe, from Florida. I love my Floridians. I think I want to be down there <laughs> versus up in Maine, i.e. Antarctica, where it is always cold. Uh, anyways, we he is a podcast host for uh, Firearms Nation. I was just going to say Sheepdog Nation. No, Firearms Nation. He has his own podcast, so you're going to have to go check that out. The link will be down below. This was an amazing podcast. His name is Arik Levy. Go check him out. Listen, he's got some really good things to say about guns, firearms, tactics. I think you'll like this interview. Welcome to Sheepdog Nation Podcast, the only place on the internet where law enforcement and their families can come to be understood, supported, and stood up for. Here's your host, the always entertaining, down-to-earth, yet-in-your-face truth speaker and Leo herself, Autumn Schmidt. Sheepdog, before we get going on today's podcast episode, I wanted to ask you something. Are you interested in getting promoted? Or maybe not right now, but it, you know that it's coming up in the near future. Well, I created something for you. I created a free training with the top five skills every police officer must have in order for them to get promoted. And so I wanted to share that with you really quickly. If it's something that you want to do, it's a free training. It's an audio. So it's essentially just like this podcast and it is accompanied with a checklist so that you can literally print it out, put it in your duty bag, and you can start building these skills right here, right now. That's going to get you promoted very quickly. If it's something you're interested in, go down, hit the show notes, click the link below and get your training. Enjoy the show. First of all, I just want to say thank you to uh, having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, to meet fellow podcasters and Absolutely. especially podcasters who are in law enforcement. That's few and far between. Yes. Uh, but I'm, I'm a 16-year veteran. I, I work for a very large department in uh, Broward County. And one of the things that I did in my career was I was in training. And one of the of that training time span, I was a firearms instructor. And when I left, I, you know, I still have that desire to teach people to train mm. and I still do it on the side. But I'm like, you know, all these contacts that I've made, wouldn't it be great to just talk to them and be able to pick their brains and, you know, for free <laughs> on, on the air and, and share that with people. And that's what I did. And it was about two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago, at uh, SHOT Show. You're familiar with SHOT Show? Yep. Okay, I was at SHOT Show. I, I launched it and uh, it's taken off ever since. It's, it's been very positive. And, and from that, you know, I was able to do these shooter summits and we could talk about those later. But the gist of it, the way I, I wanted to do a podcast and I wanted to do it right, was that for me, listening to it when I was working, I always appreciated you know, really interesting interviews. Mm. And so that's, that was, you know, I said, you know, I gotta, I gotta be able to, to establish myself by asking and asking good questions. So that's what I did. But yeah, so that's my deal. Uh, I'm still in law enforcement. I'm a detective now. I always wanted to be one. So it's great. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great career. Uh, I, I 
don't recommend people get into it, but it's a great career. <laughs> That's so true, right? I always tell my husband, I said, our kids are going to be firemen. If they want to be first responders, they're going to go work for the FD. They can work two days a week and then that's it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think people understand that because a lot, I, I see the people coming in, the, the kids, and I, I feel old to say that, but you know what I mean? They're, they're coming into in this job and they have these expectations of what it's like. And I really think they're getting it from TV and movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what being a cop is and now, and it's so different now, you know, with, with body worn cameras. And you, when I, when I kind of, again, I sound like an old guy, get off my lawn. But, <laughs> you know, when I started, the, most people didn't have cell phone cameras. The cell phones that we had were the Nextel kind. Remember those? Mm-hmm. You've seen yeah. one on, in a museum once? Yeah, yeah. I've seen one in a museum. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, so that was the thing. Is like, you know, nobody had camera. Now everybody, you get out of the car, everyone's got a camera. Mm-hmm. That was like the first thing they said in the academy. I'm sure they said something similar to you is you always got to act as if you're on camera. And mm-hmm. nowadays, you really do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so that'd be interesting. I'd love to hear a little bit of what it was like um, to work patrol when you first started 16 well, years ago. 16 years ago, it was, <laughs> thing, like I said, things were different, ideas were different. Um, not that crime isn't crime, crime is still the same. There's no doubt about it. And I think crime is a little bit different in one way, and I see it now in, in my current job, is that you got that social media aspect, that people are recording themselves doing crime, people are stalking people over social, they're uh, harassing people, and or, you know, using that as a method to get people together to do crime. I mean, so there's a very big, you know, the, the generation coming up, <laughs> they know so much about all this technology, they're going to do well at that aspect. But interacting with the criminal, that's something that, that you really got to learn and cut your teeth with by being on the street. You can't mm-hmm. do it behind a keyboard. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Even like, even, you know, eight years ago when I started, like when I started, I always tell, like, I, I always tell these stories like these, you know, my war stories just eight years ago. And I'm like, listen, we used to do real police work back then. Okay. Like we used to. And so I can imagine 16 years ago, like, I, I don't know. I talked to a lot of veteran cops and they're like, yeah, well, if I can, we kicked down doors and we didn't give a shit. And you know, if the bad guy, you know, they went to jail and that was it. And like, we did what we had to do. And I'm like, damn, man, like, let's get back into those days. (laughs) I, you know, I understand. And I think it has a direct correlation. And this also comes from just being in training. There's a, you know, they always talked about the big L liability, even Mm -hmm. way back when. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then to, to fix that, you had to make sure that, you know, you know how to write a report and document what you did. Remember, if you, you don't write it, it didn't happen. Right. Now with, with so much video, you have to be able to know exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people get in trouble. They're, They're, you know, they're not sure of, you know, do I make an arrest? Do I put my hands on this person? And that's where I think people, you know, for a safety aspect, that's horrible mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you shouldn't be thinking it. You know, if you give these uh, a criminal a second, they're going to take it. Absolutely. Um, so that, that's probably where I think it's, it's changed a lot mm-hmm. is because, I mean, there's nothing really, there's nothing wrong with body-worn cameras. There's not. No. I, I think they do more good than, you know, I mean, a lot of people were resistant, but 
There's nothing wrong with it. You just do your job. Mm-hmm. But you, you got to get out of the mentality of like what, you know, that like I'm watching myself do the job. So I'm not paying attention to the bad guy. That's where I think people can get hurt. No, absolutely. I also think that I don't think there's anything wrong with us wearing the body cams. But what I do think I have a problem with is I have a problem with the pressures that the command staff put on our officers. I know agencies, I worked for one that they would, their fucking pastime was watching body cams and looking for reasons to jam people up. I mean, listen, I got jammed up because I was sitting in my cruiser on Christmas Eve and I, I, my shift was getting off at 11 P right. It's 10 30. So now I'm like, okay, it's Christmas Eve. I want to go the fuck home. At 10.45, we get a call. It's a 10-person fight in the middle of the road. I'm in my cruiser. Nobody is around me. And I say, what the fuck? And I got written up for that because I swore. And it, like we were, it was recording. And I was on my way to a call. I'm like, come on. Really? Really? Find something else to do. So that, that's, you know, that's how I feel about that. And I mean, I agree, I do agree though. I mean, I don't, if you're, you know, if you are being ethical, then, you know, being on body camera all the time isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I was a lot, but at the same time, like we need to keep, you know, I, in my opinion, I'm going to keep the command staff in their place. Don't try to jam your cops up, be leaders, you know, have our backs. And I get it. They have political, I know they have political pressures and and stuff like that. But that, that's, I mean, that's the way that it is. And it, I mean, if we, if they would get off cops backs, then probably fucking we'd have a lot less issues, but don't comment on that. You don't need to. You- well, I'm, I'm just going to say in terms of body cameras that what I've seen is that it's helped a lot more than it's hurt. Mm-hmm. I think that back when I started, I remember a very specific case where this woman came in and made an allegation against the cop. And it was a very serious mm-hmm. felony, you know, yeah. sexual abuse type yeah. of uh, allegation. Yeah. And then it comes down to, you have to find forensic evidence and then you're going to have to take testimonies. Yeah. Well, like in situations like that, I'm with you fully a hundred percent. And I've heard of a lot of situations where it has definitely gotten is exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying in my, like if we look at it, if we flip the coin and we look at it in the other way, in the other direction, you know, obviously causes a ton of stress for cops, you know, so they do absolutely need to be, they need to be deployed, you know, the way that they're meant to be. And that's exactly what you're saying is in that way, you know, that is it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's only going to get, not worse, but Technology is just happening so fast and the things that they're going to be implementing into law enforcement, you know, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. Some of the stuff I've seen and yeah, that's going to, the biggest challenge is going to be what is the officer going to, how are they going to interact with the public? Mm-hmm. If, you know, they get bogged down with all this technology. Like I said before, they still know, need to know how to survive. They still need to know, DT, they still need to know how to shoot and, and then all the things that lead up to that. You know, you're, you're escalating or de-escalating. Are you able to do that? Do you have the common sense to talk to people? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, that was only, I came late into law enforcement. I was already in my 30s. So it was mm-hmm. a second career. Mm-hmm. And I always had question, you know, if you're an 18-year-old kid and you're going to a domestic, I mean, how do you talk to the grownups in the room who are having 
an argument and you're 18 years old and you know, they could be your parents. I mean, so that's, that always was a very weird thing to me for law enforcement. It's like, yeah, I mean, you obviously need a wide range of people because they got to have a career, mm-hmm. but yeah, 18 year old, I just think it's just a little too young. Yeah. I definitely think 18 was too young. I came on there. I, I became a cop when I was 20, but I didn't get on. I got on patrol when I was 21. And I will tell you that I definitely had to fake it till I made it. You know, I had definitely had to fake that shit. And I had to just all of a sudden grow up when I'd go to a DV like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, and, and have these talks. I really didn't even know what I was talking about, but I was just trying to go with it, you know, and I, I couldn't agree more because like, you're right. Like, how do you relate? And so the only thing I would do is I'd like take it to like one of my relationships that I've had that wasn't a marriage, you know, and I would just try to relate that way. But you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, that, and that's another thing. No, let me ask you this. So like, have you like, prior to you being a police officer, like were you wicked into firearms? I, it's funny. I was always fascinated by detective stuff, uh, criminal stuff. I, I was a writer. And so I would do tons of research. I had a lot of friends who were cops. So I was always around the, the law enforcement field and, and the firearms field. But even as a cop for the first eight years, I wouldn't say that my shooting skill was that good. No. I mean, listen, most agencies, unfortunately, they're, they're training its, its qualifications and then maybe a little in-service and that's it for the year. And if you can take a class, an elective, if it's offered, that's great. If you can go to another agency, that's great. Or even go to a professional trainer, but that's few and far between. Mm-hmm. So the amount of time an officer is handling their firearm is very low. And you compare it like my comparison to competitive shooters, they're basically touching their gun every day. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing dry fire every day. They're going to the range once a week, twice a week, and then they're competing under stress. So their skill set is really high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, one of the things I always preach was that, you know, cops got to do more dry fire. Cops got to invest more. The one thing that's the most important thing on your belt is your firearm. Absolutely. And I know some people who are just terrified of pulling that gun out. Going to qualify is an ordeal for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't agree more. and I relate fully to that. Now, let me ask you this. So is that the one thing, like I was going to ask you, like what is the one thing that you would tell, you know, an officer listening to this? Like, is it the dry firing? Is it pulling out and practicing holstering and reholstering? Like, what would you what would you say for them that they should do every day? I think that it, it depends on the officer. All right, the 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 young bucks, as I call them, the guys that are you know fresh out of the academy. Maybe they have a little military behind them. Maybe they don't, and they wish they did. But you know, all guys think that they're really good at three things, and. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> right. And <laughs> the reality is they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shooting is one of these things where going to the range and doing slow fire bullseye practice isn't really shooting. Right. We don't shoot bullseyes. Mm-hmm. We don't shoot at a slow pace. When, mm-hmm. when, since you're cursing, I'll curse too. When the shit hits the fan, uh, it happens so fast. And then when you look at all these traffic stop gone bad videos, mm-hmm. it happens so fast. There was that one, uh, I think it was in California and she stopped that illegal alien yep. it was a week or two ago. 
Yeah. And she, she walked one side and she walked up to the driver's side and bam, he, bam. he shot at her. And by the grace of God, she, she didn't get hit. And then she unloaded, which, you know, she did what she had to do. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, it happened so fast. So you're only kidding yourself if you go to, you know, an indoor range, put up one of those big B-27 targets mm. and, and aim for the center, you know, and you're, you're shooting really slow and trying to practice your sights and your grip, you know, all that stuff. You can't even be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> the only way you're going to get better is through tons of repetition. You know, you, you've done jujitsu mm-hmm. and same thing. If you're, if you're ever rolling with somebody, you're not thinking about what moves to do and what right. you're, you're reacting to it. You're, you're flowing with it. And that's how shooting should be. You need to be able to have all that stuff done weeks and months and years before. So when you get up to even qualify, you're just there. Mm-hmm. You're not even thinking about it. But like I said, people don't. People are far away from that firearm on their hip. And mm-hmm. when they come to qualify, I've seen people have like breakdowns. They're so nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I really, I really love how you use that analogy because you know, anybody listening to this who trains jujitsu or even a boxer or whatever you do for martial arts, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like when you, you know, when you're rolling or something, you're not thinking, you're just not, you're just, you're reacting. You're absolutely right. And it's second nature and it better be. Um, otherwise you're struggling. I mean, you know, and, and you're right about the firearms. And so, okay. So they should be dry firing, you know, or reholstering and like, or unholstering unholstering and like you said i really liked your answer too you're like well it kind of depends like on the officer because and i like that too but i'm gonna tell everybody you should be doing both right now (laughs) just do it just practice do do it you know yeah with the officers right so that's the young guys and then there's people who are maybe at towards the end of their career 16 years to 20 years who learned one style of shooting years ago and never learned anything else doesn't really work for them they got to be willing to learn. They got to be willing to say, I'm still young at this. I want to get better. And mm-hmm. I've seen that in some people. I've seen some people very resistant, but I've seen some people are like, you know what? Okay, I can do it. I can do 10 minutes a day. I can put a paper plate on the wall and draw to it, yep. you know, and, and develop that natural index. So mm-hmm. I don't have to think about it, that my sights are there. I don't have to worry about, you know, lining up my sights and gripping this, you know. Find a good person to learn from. Mm. That's the other thing. You know, whether, whether you watch this, you know, when I started, there wasn't YouTube. But now there's YouTube. There's so many good instructors out there. But obviously, make sure it's a good instructor. Mm-hmm. But there's so many good instructors out there. You can look at this stuff. There's forums. There's Facebook. There's mm-hmm. so much media out there with good shooters. And then here's the other thing. And this is very, very hard for a lot of cops. Go and compete. Find a... IDPA or USPSA, go and compete. These are civilians and law enforcement military guys who want to win. And so they put the time in and you can go in your duty gear for both of those. They'll let you go in your duty gear. So you learn what it's like to do stuff under pressure. Mm. All the special operations community bring these competitive shooters, the top guys in to teach them because they shoot fast and they shoot accurate which is what we want. So if it's good enough for them, I mean, my God, it's got to be good enough for us. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. I like that. So let me ask you this. 
can you, because I don't think we, I don't think what we said, can you tell everybody really quickly or tell them again what your podcast is? It's the Firearms Nation podcast. The Firearms Nation podcast. That's right. awesome. It's, so- it's, I talk to all sorts of people. I talk to a lot of competitive shooters because obviously I compete. I talk to a lot of military guys, uh, other cops. And uh, I also talk to some journalists and authors. You know, mm-hmm. there's, I, as the more I did this, the more I learned to not embrace firearms. You know, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that has so many guns. And I, no, not at all. I don't have that many guns at all. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the shooting aspect. I, I think it's a very interesting art, martial mm-hmm. art, because we got to do everything super fast. Mm-hmm. It's not like golf. Mm-mm. But it's the same ignition, right? Pulling the trigger or hitting the ball is that same ignition where it has to be done perfectly. But we're, we're doing all this. We're running around. We're shooting. We're worried about our lives. We're worried about the lives of our partner or some other innocent person. But we should do things perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's where it's, it's such an interesting thing. And that's why I learned. And whether it's, you know, it's a rifle or a shotgun, but mostly handgun because handgun is the hardest thing to shoot. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Oh my, well, I don't just think it, I know it. It's because, listen, uh, a shotgun and a rifle both have a shoulder stock. So you have another point of contact. Whereas the gun, you know, you're holding it out in the middle of nowhere. You've got to provide all the support. And that's why, you know, and it's a, it's a uh, light gun, but it's got a heavy trigger. Yes. So versus you have a rifle, which is a heavy gun and got a light trigger. Here, you got something completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And... You know, some of the triggers aren't the best and we tend to jerk it and yeah. match. You know, you, you know, there's this, I know a lot up north, they have these heavy triggers in this one really big city that I lived in before where 9-11 happened. And mm-hmm. there's a classic video. They were taking down this murder suspect in front of the Empire State Building. And they shot him, can't tell you how many times, or shot at him. And, actually shoot him. and they also hit like nine other people. Oh. Because they were shooting one-handed. I mean, so here we are, we're shooting, you know, it's hard enough to shoot two-handed, they're shooting one-handed. Mm-hmm. So again, you, you know, you got to get good at it. Yeah. Especially now. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, especially now. What do you guys carry? What do you carry? Uh, we can carry uh, four different manufacturers, either Glock, SIG 320, M&P, or um, the HK VP9. So as long as, as long as they're in nine millimeter and, I know a lot of people can internet debate 45 or nine all day long. Yeah. Nobody, nobody debates the 40. Sorry. No. Nobody debates the 40. That's it's, it's all. I'm not a fan of the 40, but I like the nine. I think it works and you carry more ammo. What could be better? Cause think about it. You're in a gunfight and it's a true story. Uh, Jacksonville police officer who I had on my podcast. One of the things he mentioned is that the bad guy went to re- relock or a slide lock first. Mm-hmm. So he was still shooting at him when the guy had to reload, and mm-hmm. that made all the difference. Uh-huh. Uh, I like being able to carry a lot of rounds, right? We don't mm-hmm. know what we're going to run into. What yeah. do you guys carry? <laughs> well, I carry a Glock 40. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Yes, of course I do. I, I, you know, I have, to, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm pretty biased about a Glock. I don't disagree with you what you're saying. In fact, like we all carry extra mags, like more than issue, like um, department issued. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I really like a Glock. What's your What's your favorite gun? 
Oh, well, I, I used to shoot for Team SIG, and so I still shoot a SIG. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like the SIG 320. I think it, it's got the best trigger out of the box, and it just feels good in the hand. And you can what about it. the reliability? That's a whole other internet debate. It is. It's a very reliable gun unless you drop it before on the negative 17-degree angle, which uh -huh. never happens. But regardless, they did the right thing, and they replaced all those guns, mm -hmm. which I'm sure cost a lot of money, but they did the right thing. Mm -hmm. They didn't you know, run away from it. Mm -hmm. So it's been, I've, I've shot tens of thousands of rounds through my SIGs and not a problem. Not a problem. You know, this is a little fun nerd fact that SIG is actually manufactured like 45 minutes from my house. Absolutely. And you know what that means is that, what you're in Maine or New Haven? You're in Maine. But I'm in Southern Maine, so it's, okay. I'm right near the border. You can, the Sig Sauer Academy is right across the border too. And if you ever want fantastic training, uh, in fact, you should, I should put you in touch with uh, Hannah because uh, she's a fantastic lady and she'd be perfect. She used to be a, a New Hampshire cop. No kidding. Yep. And, and now she's like some huge director and uh, she's just, I can't speak enough about her. She's terrific. So uh, yeah, I'll, offline, I'll, I'll get you her information. You can, We'd probably do an in-person interview. And in yeah, that would be cool. Academy. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I'm a pretty big Glock girl, but um, but that's because that's what I started with. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not a. But I'm not an expert like you, guy. <laughs> I just I just shoot what I have, and I love it. Like it's for me, it's reliable. It's like stupid proof. And in the academy, when we were doing all those like stress drills, where they'd like take apart your gun and then like smoke you and then make you like within seconds, like put it back together and then go shoot and you had to shoot perfectly. For me, I could put it back together really quickly and it made sense. <laughs> and see, that's a perfect drill that anybody could do even, even at home. Obviously, you know, if you're doing any types of dry fire, you have to triple check that there's no ammo in the gun or even in the room, I like to say. Yes. And make sure whatever you're pointing at that wall, there's nothing on the other side. Right. But mm -hmm. yeah, do, do a little CrossFit routine and then pick up the gun and aim it at a target and pull the trigger, the best possible trigger pull, and you know, make sure you're controlling your breathing and all that stuff. I mean, you can do that dry and then do the CrossFit routine again and then do it. jump up and do it. There you go. And you know, maybe put multiple targets, whatever you can do. Mm -hmm. At least you're doing something with it. At least you're incorporating it. And that's, that's the problem is that if you don't take your gun out and you know, touch it and work with it every day, when you do that once a year at Qualls, of course, it feels weird in your hand. This is something weird in my hand versus it's natural for me to have it in my hand. Okay, so tell me, what would be your biggest advice for like a rookie or any police officer? Tell me what your biggest advice. It doesn't, I know we talked about like the dry fire and stuff, but do you have like any advice that you would give them? Like, what would you tell like an officer on the street when it comes to firearms? Like, what would you tell them? Well, I would say always assume somebody has one. Mm. That would be my biggest advice to a rookie or to anybody just assume somebody has one and act accordingly mm. right so when you approach somebody how are you approaching them you know are you watching their hands do they have anything that looks like it could be a firearm on them if you you know depending on you know obviously if you're in you know main street usa and you're stopping grandma okay i mean you're not gonna pat her down for your officer safety right. at you know, 11 o'clock in the morning when she's leaving church. But if, you know, if you're in an area where it's a high crime area, drug area, 
and you're out with somebody, you know, as long as you're following what the laws are, absolutely make sure that you're not out with someone with a gun. I, th- I see people are very afraid to, you know, not illegally, but, you know, just within the reason, like, hey, do you have anything on you? Mm-hmm. Do you have a gun on you? You know, it, when you're in the dark in this alley, you're out here by yourself. Um, you know, if you have any problems with me, you know, panning, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to do that because too often, you know, these people, a lot of people carry guns. This is the United States of America. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm pro Second Amendment, but there's a lot of illegal guns out there. And that's what scares me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Absolutely great advice. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your expertise. Definitely not my area of expertise. So it's, it's nice to have somebody come on, um, um, you know, and I'll forgive you for really loving SIGs and not Glocks. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just teasing. And um, but so anything else that you'd like to leave Sheepdog Nation with? Remind us where we can find you. Um, so Sheepdog Nation, you know, just head on over to Firearms Nation. Mm. And you can search in, you know, any Apple directory or any podcast directory. Uh, you can go to firearmsnation.com. The episodes are up there too. Okay. Uh, if you go to shootersummit.com, that's more of a masterclass on different, you know, on shooting. Like the first one was very varied, but the last one was very specific on, on shooting and becoming a, a top competitive shooter. And there's a YouTube channel. You know, uh, I post videos on dry fire. I do gear reviews. Is that, uh, is the YouTube channel Firearms Nation? Everything is Firearms Nation. Well, that's easy. That yeah. is easy. You can it find is. me on social media. You can stop by, say hi, tell me I'm full of crap. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, I, especially, you know, I, and you know this too, in the, I, I love the law enforcement community so much. I think we are great brothers and sisters. And, you know, it was always a mission when I was in training to make sure everybody went home alive. I think anytime there's, there's a cop death, it's, it's a horrible thing because mm. people don't understand that. People don't understand that we're getting up there to go do good and to help people and we don't come home at night and that's just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. I think people have just become so cynical or just so nasty about it that they, you know, they say all these crazy things on, on Twitter and, and Facebook about you know, the deaths of cops, but it's unacceptable. I want, I want, I want zero cops dead one year. Yep. Absolutely. That's definitely. And my goal is that I want zero cops committing suicide one year. Yep. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. We're tackling the same issue, just different angles. So it's wicked good. It's wicked good. <laughs> He's making fun of my main accent, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Sheepdog Nation. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and we, it we, actually, we're going to be putting the um, firearms nation stuff. We'll be right in the show notes. So, You guys can just click down below, go see what's up over there, and um, we will see you next time, Sheepdog Nation. And that was another episode of Sheepdog Nation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and let us know by giving us a rating. If you have questions that you want answered by Autumn in the podcast, submit it by going to the link in the show notes. As always, stay safe and watch your six.